Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. I am. I was having a wonderful day this morning for like five minutes. So yesterday after the show, I checked the mail. I didn't even look at it. I just threw it into a pile and figured I'd get to it later. Today I got to it. And uh, the first thing I see on the pile is the property tax bill. So uh, anytime government is there with its uh, ever-extending handout, I uh, tend to put me in a, a bit of a foul mood. But at one point, I will uh, pay the property tax bill, and then I will really be in a foul mood. But that will not be today, because I, I want to come on fresh. Although maybe the show benefits if I come on in a bit of a sour mood, because then I just uh, can lash out with full strength or reverence at uh, whatever is aggrieving me on a given day. But nevertheless, hope you are all having perhaps a less sour day, although maybe you all got your property tax bills around the same time. It is tax season, and then we're going to have to pay CRA. No, no, no. I'm working myself up again. I can't do it. I will not do it. Let's talk about the media. That'll surely calm my nerves, right? So uh, this was uh, rather fascinating. So the uh, Statistics Canada survey came out. I, I've come to enjoy Statistics Canada reading, by the way. My wife is like, a bit. she reads uh, the Statistics Canada stuff. And she was telling me, oh, you should read Statistics Canada. So I did. And lo and behold, I see this uh, graph they've put out today as far as trust in institutions is uh, our, our concern. Now, now here, I, I want to read the numbers to you because the graph doesn't give you precise figures. The one on the bottom of each section there, the red line, that is the result of this most recent survey. So fall of 2023, a few months ago, but they just came out today. The middle line, the light blue is spring. So that's about six months earlier. And then the blue is a fall of 2022. So a year earlier. So each of these sections is showing a progression. The question is about confidence in institutions, trust in institutions. Now, I want to focus on the bottom section there for a moment, because as you see, trust in the Canadian media is at 37%. 37% of Canadian surveyed say they have trust in the Canadian media. Now, it's a bit of an increase because uh, six months earlier, it was 28. Sorry, no, it was 30 and six months before that, it was 31. So whether trust has increased by 6 or 7% in the past year, or whether this is just a, an aberration on the survey, a statistical anomaly, I don't know. But you contrast that with other institutions. The only one of these that Canadians like less than the media, we can take that off now, is federal parliament, which is a 28. So when you are, when the only one people trust less than you are federal politicians, uh, that is, I think, a, a bit of a, a bit of a danger here. And then you have above that more trust in the school system, the justice system, in the courts, and police. Sixty-five percent of Canadians trust police. Thirty-seven percent trust journalists. So when there is a big crime scene and the police show up, and then the journalists show up, uh, twice as many people like the uniformed guys and gals than like the ones there with their notebooks and recorders. Now, these figures are obviously a, a survey. They're, they're not necessarily a, as precise as they could be, but I think trust in institutions is a very significant issue that we've all seen in decline. Now, 
I remember asking in Davos, Christine Lagarde, I played the clip, I think yesterday or uh, on a previous show recently, uh, I asked her about how Canadians can have trust in digital currency when institutional trust is in such dismal state. And she just used that lovely line of, I can't take questions right now because I'm in a quiet period. So not doing her part to reinstill trust in these institutions. So let's dig into the why. I think the reason is, well, I think there are a couple of reasons here. I think number one, Canadian media has not done a traditionally good job of earning trust. I think in a lot of cases, and I'm not talking about individual reporters, I'm talking about the institutions and corporate structures as a whole, have kind of been resting on their laurels for many years and not giving a value proposition to Canadians as to this is why you should trust us. Instead, they just turn around and say that everyone should. Now, my colleague Cosman Georgia had a, a great piece this week at True North in which the VP of the Toronto Star was saying that unless government subsidizes media, and unless government forces the big tech companies to subsidize media, then pseudo-journalists are going to take over. So he said the only way to protect real journalism, the Toronto Star, Sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to, I meant to say that with a straight face. The only way to protect the real journalists of the Toronto Star is through government funding. Otherwise, the evil, scary, dark web pseudo journalists are going to be the ones who uh, come on. Now, uh, this is, I think, a fascinating, fascinating development here. And it's one of these things that we see more and more in Canada, because in Canada, you throw the subsidization approach in to the mix, and that makes it so that uh, journalists all of a sudden have this pitch. Uh, well, whenever you hear people talking about misinformation and disinformation, what you have are people trying to make their uh, be gatekeepers on truth, gatekeepers on what real journalism is. And, and look, some guy with a blog in his basement, realizing full well the place from which I'm broadcasting right now, is not the same as someone that has an established operation where there are checks and balances and editors and all of these things. But I think journalists have tried to use that contrast to the point where it's no longer believable for a lot of people because you've had big stories that have been broken by bloggers in their basements. Look at the Harvard, uh, look at the Harvard plagiarism scandal with Claudine Gay. That was broken by two substackers, two independent journalists without any institutional backing. And it was only after they broke the ground that mainstream media outlets eventually followed them because they realized that it would look too bad if they were left out of that story. So it isn't just enough to say, well, you know, we have our own processes and procedures. We're the real journalists, not these guys, because Canadians are flocking to those guys. And I pardon the gendered language, but Canadians are flocking to independent media who are doing this sort of work. So it really isn't all that surprising that the trust is in decline. And, and then you look at in interactions like this. Now, I realize these are polarizing to people, but I, I share them because they're revealing one way or another. This was Pierre Polyev yesterday in the foyer of the House of Commons, scrapping with a journalist yet again, this one from the Canadian press. Why did your party want to grant over $100 million in regulatory relief to the mainstream media? We don't want to give uh, any tax dollars to the mainstream media. We, our belief is that the mainstream media and all... So I'll answer your question. Uh, the media that is bought and paid for... Which, where are you from, by the way? Which, which outlet are you in? Which outlet? Which outlet? Canadian Press. Ah, okay. Canadian Press. So you're talking about tax dollars for media. Is, isn't CBC right, your biggest... No, isn't, no, I, I can answer... 
Yeah, and uh, you want to answer? Party wants to bring hundred million dollars in Sorry. regulatory relief to the mainstream media. When would you like me to respond? Okay, good. Okay, great. So, of course, you are a tax-funded media outlet and uh, spreading Justin Trudeau's message. Why did you and, and, and so you're, you're, you're interrupting me again. You're interrupting me again. I am answering the question. Do you regret granting $100 million in regulatory relief to the mainstream media? Your question is false. So if you can allow me to correct your falsehoods, then we can, we can answer the question directly. So, false. Canadian Conservatives do not believe in giving tax dollars to media outlets. That's Justin Trudeau. That's Justin Trudeau. That's Justin Trudeau. Okay, if you, if, you, if you don't want me to answer the question, I'll move on to someone else. You're, you're a tax-funded tax mouthpiece to the PMO. That's the reality. So, question answered. You committed I'm trying to. to I'm trying to, but you're heckling. Are you going to let me answer the question, or are you just going to heckle on behalf of Justin Trudeau? Which is it? I would love the answer. Great. So our, our party does not support tax dollars for media outlets, because that's when we end up with biased media like you, who come here and articulate the PMO talking points rather than uh, delivering uh, real news to the Canadian people. Justin Trudeau gave Bell Media and other media tax dollars supposedly to protect media jobs. And then what happened? They all got laid off. So that, so that the supposed justification for giving, giving Bell all this money was that it was going to save media jobs. Well, they all got fired. So I guess that wasn't the real reason for giving tax dollars to the media. The real reason was for him to buy support from the media, which is what it actually did. So we believe that media should be driven by readership, viewership, and listenership. And that's what allows it to, to represent the Canadian people rather than taking marching orders from the PMO. Now, just to give you a bit, a bit of context there, before I, I show the Liberal government's response to that, what the reporter was asking about was a story. It wasn't $100 million, It was $40 million. The Conservatives, along with the NDP and Bloc Québécois, voted in favor of, according to the framing of this Canadian press story, $40 million in regulatory relief for Bell. Or I guess it was $100 million to companies in general, but of that, $40 million went to Bell. Now, this is, I think, relevant here because what happened was there was a conservative motion to a liberal bill, uh, to the Online News Act, actually, to abolish licensing fees that uh, companies had to pay. So regulatory relief kind of masks it was government not collecting this money. And the, the rationale from the conservatives, from the NDP, from the Bloc Québécois, I believe at the time was, well, hang on, we're just trying to have a level playing field here. So we're not going to pick and choose who has to pay what. So it was made to sound as though there was a bailout of some kind and it was trying to expose a hypocrisy now i i would have appreciated it if pierre polyev had just addressed the question but he was trying to uh scrap with the premise of it and i, I think that's a, a fair a fair thing to do in in general i know these sorts of of stunts to call them that without any judgment one way or another tend to do very well because he is diverging from how conservatives have in the past handled the media where they get bludgeoned but still try to appease and bend over backwards and make friends where he's saying uh listen i'm just i'm not going to be afraid to call you out and we're going to do this now what's interesting is the way the liberals are responding the liberals want to be the great media defenders they even dispatched heritage Minister Minister uh, Pascal Saint-Ange today to go out and give this talking point. I just want to get back uh, on the altercation between Pierre Poilievre yesterday and a journalist from Canadian Press. Uh, first of all, 
I want to say that he's pretty thin-skinned. Uh, it's our job when we're politicians to answer questions from journalists. We're accountable to the Canadian population, and it's the journalist's job to ask those questions. Some questions are difficult. Some questions are easy. Yesterday's question was pretty easy. Uh, he was just asked to explain why his party introduced an amendment to lift fees for uh, Canadian broadcasters. It's a pretty easy question. It's, it's his party that brought that forward. So yes, when you're a politician, you need to answer questions. And when you're attacking the press, when you're attacking our free press, you're also attacking democracy. It's unworthy of a leader. Uh, sorry, I, I was just doing some statistical uh, debating here because our, our friend Chris Sims, who uh, thankfully is watching the show, hello Chris, uh, had sent along uh, the footnote of that chart that I, I showed and the chart had uh, showed, and I, I shared these numbers with you live, that trust in the media was at, uh, if I recall the exact number here, 37% by Canadians. But weirdly, the footnote is kind of confusing here because it says, that in provinces, trust in media had very, very low trust in Atlantic Canada, where only 15% trusted the media, Ontario and BC, where 13% did, and the Prairie Provinces, where 12 did. So in order for those numbers to make sense, Quebec's trust in the media would have to be sky high. Uh, but I, So I'm not exactly sure how they get to that, because... Uh, Quebec has high confidence in institutions overall. So I'll, I'll drill into these numbers a little bit, but I think that's incredibly relevant here that, you know, yeah, even if we accept at face value that overall uh, trust in media that Canadians have, 37% here, you go outside of Quebec and we're talking about 12, 13, 15% trust in media, which is absolutely abysmal. And I think understandably so. And, and look, we saw that clip from Pierre Polyev and the CP reporter. Uh, there was one last week. This has become just a, a regular occurrence, oftentimes with either Canadian press or CBC. Those are the two that he seems to get into it with. And, and there are people that don't like it. I get it. There are people that do the whole, oh, this is not prime ministerial. And, but at a certain point, you have to look at why trust is declining in the first place. And I think it's because journalists have oftentimes not all journalists, but many journalists have kind of wanted to hide behind the question mark. Now, if someone else has made up this term before, I, I've never heard it. So maybe I'm coining it for the first time, but they want to hide behind the question mark. You say you frame something as a question and whatever you said before that question mark is defensible because, oh, I'm just I'm just asking questions. But really, journalists are, in many cases, making arguments. They are belligerents in the political fight, not just these passive, neutral, uh, truthful observers. And this is where Pascal Saint-Ange, I just have to roll my eyes because she comes out and says this is an attack on democracy. It's an attack on a free press. No, it's an attack on questions that Pierre Polyev thinks, uh, and people can decide for themselves, are off base. Questions he thinks are loaded and does not want to answer. And the system works when both sides are putting pressure on the other. Politicians shouldn't be deferential to the media. Journalists should not be deferential to politicians. Uh, you know, the liberals should are in no position to complain about this because what the liberals do, they just ban reporters they don't want to take questions from from the press conference. What would you rather? I would rather Justin Trudeau say, you know what, we're going to let the rebel at our press conferences, and if they ask a question I don't like, I'm going to give them. I'm going to give it to them. That's what Pierre Polyev does. He could say, yeah, you know what? We don't want government-funded media at our press conferences. That would be wrong because then you are banning access. 
Debating and arguing are not attacks on press freedom. They are the system working. A free press is a press in which the media is held accountable and the political class is held accountable. And the consumers, Canadians are the ones who can decide for themselves which they like better, which they feel has the moral high ground, if either of them. And I mean, looking at these uh, trust figures from Statistics Canada, I think Canadians are generally speaking saying they like neither. I wanted to pivot to this rather horrendous display in Toronto yesterday, Mount Sinai Hospital, a renowned hospital. It's obviously Jewish in origin and and, uh, focus, as the name would suggest, but it is not a hospital staffed by only Jewish people or uh, serving only Jewish people. Apparently, Sean was born at Mount Sinai, and to my knowledge, Sean Sean confirms he is not Jewish. So uh, there we go. Mount Sinai Hospital gave this show its producer. We're very grateful for that. But uh, for the anti-Israel and I would say in many cases outright anti-Semitic activists, Mount Sinai is a fair target in their hatred of Israel and Jews. Just yesterday, we had a uh, a mob targeting this hospital. Take a look. Right there, you have a Palestinian flag being hoisted on the uh, entrance, the front uh, facade of the hospital by people who have no business being there. This is uh, trespassing at the very least. And interestingly enough, when the pandemic was on and you had people protesting COVID restrictions and vaccine mandates at hospitals, you had no shortage of condemnation from the political class saying this is terrible. You had laws being passed by provincial governments to uh, criminalize or uh, severely restrict the a disruption and blocking of hospitals, of these pieces of critical infrastructure. But there has been nary a peep from a lot of those folks who condemned the this sort of action during the COVID era, which, by the way, was never as aggressive as what we just saw there. Uh, just as a reminder, this is what Justin Trudeau said at the time. The Liberal Party of Canada, if re-elected to form government, will make it a criminal offence to block access to buildings that provide healthcare, whether that's hospitals, clinics, abortion clinics, uh, pharmacies, testing centers. It is not okay that across the country, hospitals are having to put up barricades today to manage the mobs coming their way. And further, we're going to make it a criminal offense for anyone to threaten or intimidate any healthcare practitioner on their way into work, in the practice of their exercise of their duty, or a patient on their way to get medical services. So there are two stories here. Number one is, I think, the establishment silence on this relative to their condemnation when it was a different type of protester, but also the uh, blame that goes squarely on the protesters themselves. Barbara Kay is a phenomenal columnist at the National Post and the Epoch Times and has been uh, one of my favorite guests on this show over time. And she joins us again. Uh, Barbara, always good to talk to you. Let's just get this right out of the way here. The pretense that this is anti-Zionism and not anti-Semitism is long gone, is it not? I would think so. I would think that uh, October 7th kind of stripped uh, that veil and shredded it. 
there is no difference when people are screaming free Palestine and they're carrying that flag, which is not the flag, by the way, of a state. It's the flag of an intention. And the intention is to eradicate Israel. So yeah, we're talking anti-Israel, but also anti-Semitism, really of a very hardcore kind. And it, it's not even veiled. I mean, if someone wants to protest at the Israeli consulate in Toronto, I may disagree with it, but I'd say have at it because you're you're at least protesting the thing that you claim to object to if they want to protest at the Israeli embassy. When we saw Jewish-owned businesses being targeted very early on, I mean, some of the footage looked like, to be frank, a new crystal knocked. And then you see the protesting at Mount Sinai Hospital. Now, I don't pretend to know the ins and outs of, of Mount Sinai's leadership, but I've never heard of this hospital having any connection to uh, the Israeli government or Israeli politics or foreign policy. It just happens to be Jewish and have Sinai in the name. Am I missing something here? No, you're not missing anything. Uh, I know very well the origins of the Mount Sinai Hospital, because uh, if you go back far enough in Canadian history, uh, you don't because you're very young. Uh, <laughs> but uh, back in the day, uh, there were quotas on uh, Jews in medical school, and it was very difficult for Jewish uh, doctors to get internships or residencies in the in the uh, in the other hospitals. And uh, the Jewish community said, "You know what? Let's start our own hospital." Same as the Jewish General Hospital in Montreal. So they did. Uh, but obviously, these hospitals hire everybody. They're very multicultural places, of course, and uh, they're open to the community. So everybody, uh, their patients come from the entire community. And so it, it, it represents its legacy. Uh, and it does mean that you can get kosher meals there if that's your inclination. But aside from that, it's, uh, and rooms for, you know, uh, uh, circumcision for, you know, ceremonies and that sort of thing. That's, that's what's Jewish about it. And there's a, a chapel, I think. Um, but apart from that, it's a community hospital, like all the others. Uh, but you know these clowns, they they see a, a name that sounds Jewish. They just, I mean, they don't really do their homework on this. They they just see it as a target because it has a Jewish name or a Jewish, uh, you know, implication. Or like Heather Reisman's store, uh, it's owned by a Jew. Delicatessen's owned by a Jew. I mean, they don't care if the clientele or the staff or everybody else is nothing to do with uh, being Jewish. So yeah, that's. Yeah. And, and, you know, I go back to for years and years ago, we have seen the BDS movement, the boycott divestment sanctions movement, which uh, is in and of itself, I think, rooted in anti-Semitism. And, and it would historically protest uh, anything that had even a peripheral relationship to Israel. I mean, Aroma Coffee is a, a co coffee shop that's Israeli owned. They do a, a wonderful job. Whenever I'm in Toronto, I try to go to Aroma. It's not a political operation. It just happens to be, by virtue of geography, an Israeli company. So you've got, you know, activists that boycott that. We've now taken this BDS movement, which I think a lot of people thought was just this little corner of the university thing that didn't really affect anyone. And we've now seen the export of this to hospitals. Like, like I've always been a, a cynic about these things, but I, I never imagined that BDS would extend to hospitals. Well, just to make you a little more cynical, Andrew, I can tell you that uh, it's very common practice for uh, even Hamas leaders uh, just recently, for example, I think it was Ismail uh, Haniyaz, he's the head political uh, honcho for Hamas who lives in Qatar. Uh, his daughter or his sister or somebody in his family was just in uh, Hadassah Hospital in Israel for a life-saving operation. Very common 
for the big, you know, the big uh, cheeses in the uh, the most anti-Semitic movements. Um, when they want expert medical care, they send them to Israeli hospitals and where they are, by the way, treated uh, with exactly the same professionalism and concern and care and compassion as anybody else. Even terrorists, by the way, who end up in Israeli mm -hmm. hospitals are very well treated. Uh, Palestinians routinely, they can't get, if their child has a, um, a heart condition, for example, that's too sophisticated for the hospitals in, in the West Bank, they, they bring them, they're treated, they go home. In some cases, um, they have treated people who have been very grateful at the time and then came back to try to blow up a pizza parlor, you know. So it's, it's a sort of strange world we, we uh, inhabit when we get into the, you know, the 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 lower reaches of uh cynicism promoting facts yeah. like this world yeah well and th that's always been i mean the most glaring hypocrisy from from you know dictators islamists and otherwise is that they're all about death to the west but where do they send their kids to go to school <laughs> i mean kim jong-un i think he you know north korea if i recall he was educated in uh, either in europe or, or somewhere like that you have iranian uh, dictators and mullahs they send their family members to you know switzerland the united states france for medical treatment and, and you're right i mean and you mentioned that he lives in qatar for, for people who don't realize this even they don't want to live in this Gaza that they say <laughs> is uh, such a, a wonderful, wonderful place were it not for the evil Zionist Jews that are mm -hmm. uh, wreaking havoc on it when they haven't even been there for, you know, 15 years now. So I, where do you think this is going? Because I, I saw this display at the hospital, wasn't all that surprised by it now. Uh, but I, I did note that conspicuous silence from people that uh, if, you know, mm -hmm. those who are critical of vaccines were protesting a hospital would have wanted to send in the police and now are silent. Well, I'm glad you showed that clip of what uh, Justin Trudeau said uh, some years ago. And he was lending his moral authority to an idea mm -hmm. uh, and to what he thinks is the moral, you know, let's have some moral clarity here. It is not acceptable. This is not acceptable. This is not who we are, blah, blah, blah. But when we have an incident like this, and we've had many similar incidents, that's his moment to get up and say, I'm distressed by this. I'm upset by this. As a Canadian, this disturbs me greatly. This is not who we are. And, and all the shibboleths that he says with all the other stuff. He's, he's not in the frame here. He should be going down to the Mount Sinai Hospital and holding a press conference outside it and say, this is one of our great hospitals in this city. There is no way that anybody inside this hospital, staff, um, patients, anybody should feel one minute. You know, I, I mean, the speech writes itself. All he has to do is, is you know, and, and by the way, not say, uh, and Islamophobia, Islamophobia is bad too, like not tack well, that, that on. Even if he does the first thing, you know, he's going to trip up on I know, he's going to tack it on. But if he could just for once forbear to tack on that little, you know, and we're equally, you know, upset about Islamophobia because... There are no Muslim schools or mosques or at the moment that are being targeted for hatred by anybody, uh, let alone Jews. Um, and that's where you get the message trickling down. And, and all he has to say is, you know, if he just what you said, if you have a problem, uh, you have you have free speech here and you have uh, the right to your opinion. If you have a problem with what's going on in the Middle East and you think it's Israel's fault, 
go to the Israeli embassy and protest there. Do not like, I mean, why am I writing the speech for him? I, you know, he's not going to pay me, but wouldn't somebody in the PMO think that up and say, Hey, come on, uh, let's, let's write a sort of a nifty little, you know, perky speech for, and, and take, you know, fly into Toronto for the day and make a day of it. Like put on some other speeches yeah. elsewhere. He could stop this. I mean, let's, let's put it this way. He might not be able to stop all of it, but he could certainly muffle the, uh, uh, the, the cheering squad who might be just a little embarrassed after their mm-hmm. prime minister has told them this is not who we are as Canadians uh, to say, you know, I think I'll skip this demonstration. So he could certainly bring the temperature down on this and he hasn't. Yeah. And at the very least, I think the moral clarity would be incredibly important. Uh, Barbara Kay, always enjoy your work in the National Post, the Epic Times and wherever else you pop up. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks, Andrew. All right. Thank you. And and just before we move on to the next subject, I wanted to bring up this related thing here because uh, Canada has decided it's going to open its uh, doors uh, metaphorically to uh, people from Gaza who have connections to Canadian citizens. And uh, look, I think absolutely there are many, many, many people in Gaza who understandably want to flee Hamas. They are people who have been trapped there by Hamas. Hamas itself has been the greatest barrier and also because other Arab countries want nothing to do with this. Egypt you want to see a well-secured border. Take a look at the border between Egypt and Gaza. The Egyptians want nothing to do with this. Jordan, which is made up of ethnic Palestinians, wants nothing to do with people from Gaza. So a lot of the blame is put on Israel, but it should be put on these Arab neighbors that are doing nothing. But uh, nevertheless, I do believe that understandably, innocent people in Gaza that want to flee this, uh, they have to the right to avail themselves of the refugee and asylum systems elsewhere in the world. Now, Canada has decided it's going to allow some of these people in. Whether you agree with that decision or not, we have protocols in place and we should have protocols in place to make sure that anyone who's coming to our country belongs here. They are going to comply with our laws. They have not done any of the things that make them ineligible for entry. Now, a liberal appointed senator from PEI, Percy Down, had tweeted, and I I couldn't find the original tweet, but he tweeted what I think is the obvious here, which is that, you know, people in PEI are nervous about terrorists. They're nervous about terrorism. I've been to PEI twice. I've never felt the terror threat there, but I understand that people there might be like any other Canadian concerned about terrorism. He was saying, if anyone from Gaza is coming to Canada, I just want to make sure we've done our security checks so that they are not Hamas agents. Hamas is not using other countries' generosity as a way to sneak into the country and bypass checks. That's what he said. Is that controversial? I don't think so. I think that is an entirely commonplace position to hold and to espouse. But he gets called Islamophobic. The PEI BIPOC Alliance or whatever it's called uh, says it's racist. And what does he do? He capitulates. He puts up this tweet. It's a bit of a half-hearted apology, but he says, upon reflection, the tweet I sent out on Gaza was wrong. My apologies for my mistake. Not convinced it is the most uh, thoughtful apology, but nevertheless, he deleted. And then he issued a longer apology because he saw people were upset about this apology. So he tried to do the, the whole middle ground thing. And he said, okay, no, 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 we need security checks for all international students. But uh, he is still being called racist and Islamophobic. 
by the PEI advocacy group. It's called BIPOC Usher or BIPOC USHR. I think BIPOC, well, Usher was the, the guy that did the Super Bowl halftime show. So I don't think Usher from PEI was the, the one that, uh, I don't think it was the same Usher here, but uh, they're still saying it's racist, it's Islamophobic. He's saying, no, 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 I'm not talking about specific groups. I'm just saying that in general, we need to do this. So he, he's tried to find a middle ground there and gets absolutely no credit for it. So what's happened here is you have someone saying the obvious. He's saying what Canadians think, which is that, well, you know, we know that Hamas has a lot of people in Gaza, and we know that they're all trying to get out of Dodge because none of these Hamas operatives want to be killed by Israel as they're going through Gaza trying to destroy and obliterate Hamas. So it stands to reason that, yeah, some of the people that are claiming, oh, but I'm an international student, or oh, I'm a refugee, oh, I'm seeking asylum, are probably going to be aligned with Hamas. I mean, even UNRWA, which is the, well, not even UNRWA, I think UNRWA's connection to terrorism is well established by now. There were tunnels and a operations center and headquarters underneath the UNRWA headquarters, tunnels that Hamas people were using to get from the UNRWA headquarters around, uh, tunnels they used to get into Israel as well. Like th this is exactly what's happening here. And what is it that uh, the UN does? Oh, we in the gambling in this establishment? No, we had no idea. Nothing, not, not, no clue any of this was happening, even though people have been saying for years that uh, terrorists had co-opted and Hamas had co-opted UNRWA and many people in UNRWA. So the reason I bring that up is that we know that anyone coming in with who is from Gaza to Canada or another country has a higher likelihood than, you know, whoever, random person A coming from, let's say, Ethiopia or coming from another part of the world to Canada and seeking asylum of being a terrorist because the terrorists are running like rats on a sinking ship here and their way out, their way out is to get into a place like Canada. So it's shameful that you had a, a, a member of the Senate, I mean, I don't hold the Senate in uh, tremendously high esteem, but a member of the Senate who's been in politics for a long time, who was one of the few people to come out and speak independently about Justin Trudeau. He had said, I think it was a couple of months ago, it's time for a, a new liberal leader, if memory serves. I think that was uh, Percy Down. And he was, he worked for Jean Chrétien. He was the, the chief of staff to, to Jean Chrétien from, I think it was 2000, I'm just looking here, 2001 to 2003. So uh, he's a guy that knows politics very well. And he gets shamed into submission for saying the obvious, obvious saying what's on everyone's mind, when he dares to speak up and criticize and uh, condemn the uh, terrorist uh, co-option of the immigration system. So uh, this is what happens when you try to do the right thing and you apologize and you try to find a middle ground. There are some people with whom you simply cannot find middle ground. There are some people that you, you simply cannot find any source of agreement with. And uh, when you see this, you know, I, I've actually gotten, I, I know this is a polarizing subject for people. I, I've had emails when I have spoken about this issue, people will say, oh, you know, I don't like the whole pro-Israel thing. And I say, well, I don't really care. Uh, we can disagree, and I welcome people who agree on some things and disagree on others to listen to the show, but this is too important an issue for me to be silent, and I'm not going to both side something where there is no both sidesing. Now, absolutely, I think we can criticize the Israeli government. Absolutely, if you feel like it, you can criticize uh, the way Israel has chosen to respond to what's happened on October 7th. 
But when you start saying that the real bad guys here, the real bad guys are the Israelis, and when you start protesting hospitals, and when you start saying anything with a Jewish name, a Jewish owner, is fair game, do I support your right to freedom of speech? 100% absolutely. Do I support uh, scaling the front of the hospital to fly the Palestinian flag? No. Do I support standing out front of the hospital and shouting? No. Do I think it is legal and should be legal to do that? Yes, providing you're not blocking entry or exit. But I, this, this is the legality and the morality are very, very different. And, and I can absolutely, as a free speech, well, frankly, as a free speech absolutist, I can say, yeah, I support your right to say and believe and protest vile things, but I will not hesitate to call you out when you're using that freedom in an absolutely disgusting and despicable way. And, and that's precisely what's happened on the, uh, is precisely what's been happening on, uh, J, on this hospital situation and on other Jewish owned businesses in Toronto. And, you know, people have said this is not a new phenomenon, but it's been an awakened phenomenon. And the anti-Semites have clearly decided that they no longer feel the need to hide. There's no shame or stigma in holding these beliefs and holding these views. And that is a uh, profoundly, profoundly dangerous and I'll say quite sad development. So uh, one, of things that, one thing that we will do on this is uh, cover it continuously. We were hoping to have another guest uh, come on to follow up on the uh, ban on oil and gas advertising that Charlie Angus has proposed, but uh, we've had some, some technical issues with our guests and unfortunately we're not able to get her on. So uh, we will, I, I don't know if there are technical issues actually. She just, she just didn't show up. So uh, hopefully we will be able to reschedule that at a later opportunity. But my thanks to all of you for tuning into the show today. We will talk to you tomorrow on the, well, what, what was I going to say? I was going to say on Canada's most irreverent talk show. But then I just dropped the Canada's on the most irreverent talk show. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This is True North. Thank you. God bless and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to the Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.